I would encourage you, if you're here just for um, uh, another Sunday morning, you don't want to be rocked, you don't want to be rolled, you don't want to be met, then in the next moment when I pray, just sneak out, just leave now, because I feel that God has got something for each one of us here this morning. Um, You might want to put in your diary, um, this is when God spoke to me and he said, so why don't you, along with me, take 45 seconds to prepare your heart? And preparing the heart is just like gardening. Quick weed, quick dig over, get rid of those lumps, get rid of the weeds, get rid of any hardness, and a quick dig over, a quick trowel, quick rake, and prepare your heart for some heavenly seeds to enter. For 45 seconds, just to do some gardening in our hearts. Father God, you're the best gardener I've ever met. Sorry for when my heart um, gets hard. Sorry for when my heart gets um, tired or weary or bored. I'm sorry for those clumps of clay in there. I'm sorry for those rocks. I don't even know how they've ended up in there. But God, I pray that you'll help help me to garden my heart, garden my mind. Because we just want to be ready to receive something from heaven right now. That we do not want an academic exercise. I do not want to be more better informed in the next 45 minutes. I want to meet with you, God. I thank you for this man here. And we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would ignite his heart, ignite his lips, set fire to these words. Thank you that your word, written all those years ago, is relevant and true for today. So Holy Spirit, set us afire. Start wildfires today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you, Bram. Thank you. So, yeah, we've been... We've been journeying through the book of Acts uh, as a church family. You're here for the first time. It's been a fun journey. We've just been trying to look at the vision and the values of who we are as people. But we've been asking God to speak afresh to us as well. And to say, what, what is it that we've missed? What is it that we can still learn? Because like, this might come as a shock to you. But actually, we don't know it all. Sometimes we think, I've read that story Thousands of times perhaps. Maybe you've read it for the first time. And my heart is that God would speak afresh to us as we read through the book of Acts. So last week we looked um, at the, one of the main characters in it, Peter. Helen and Kim and Miriam, they did this just this amazing Holy Spirit filled morning. Where we got to see the restoration of Peter. Where we got to see someone who had failed Jesus, had abandoned him had denied him and was in the pits of despair whenever Jesus brought restoration and he brought restoration into his life because of the grace of God. Because of the grace of God. And so if the guys want to bring up um, just the PowerPoint, I just want to share with you what the grace of God is. Grace is this, it's the love and mercy given to us by God because God desires us to have it. Not necessarily because of anything we have done to achieve it. It's not about what you have or haven't done that will depend on whether you receive grace or not. It's there. 
that's flowing for you. He just wants you to take it. It's free flowing. Peter got that. Peter got grace. Our disciples got grace. And as he's about to step in to the greatest sermon probably that he was ever going to give. And he sees thousands of people come to know Jesus and accept the grace. And he's about to become the leader of the early church. Jesus. Over and over and over. Three times. And yet grace restores him. To be the one who will take the church forward. But before we go into that book further and delve into Pentecost and everything that happened. There's just this little bit. There's this little passage that we could miss so easily. I've never heard a sermon preached on it or on that person that it talks about in my whole life. Something that's not okay. Because of all scripture is there and it's useful. Like 2 Timothy says, to teach us, to rebuke us, to guide us. And we can't miss it. Or we miss something that God has for us. So I want us to... Um, there's always Bibles around here, isn't there? Like if you've got a Bible... Open it up, turn it on, grab a Bible from the side, get someone, share, all that sort of stuff. Let's open it up and have a meal together as we hear from God afresh. So we want to take you to Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. It says this, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house. Where they were staying. So stop there. So Jesus has risen from the dead. What we're about to celebrate next week. Jesus has risen from the dead. And he's brought restoration and grace. As he journeys for 40 days. With these uh, group of like uneducated. Unruly folks. Who just want to love him. They've been restored. And they're at the point now. Where they're in an upper room waiting on the promised helper that he said, I have to go back to my father, but the mission that I'm going to give you, I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit, to go and wait for her. And they're waiting for him at this point. But I love the fact that it says they were in the upper room because go back 40 days, go back those few weeks just before that, the last time they were in an upper room together was the last night they would be with Jesus. The situation was completely different because one was about to deny him, one was about to betray him, but all of them were going to abandon him. It felt like a failure. And then because of grace, you fast forward and they're here waiting on the Holy Spirit, the best gift that has ever been given to us. Where Jesus just pours out his grace and says, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done. I want to love you and show you mercy anyway. And Helen gets that. Kim gets that. Miriam gets that. I get that. I get that. And probably why this story speaks so much to me is because I feel at times like what Paul said, I was the chief of all sinners. Where I let him down time and time again. I get angry with God. I betrayed him. I betrayed the ones around me who I loved most. And at the moment when I had no one else in my life. And I'm about to step off the roof of a building. God's grace. And God's mercy. As it says in Acts 2. He untied the ropes of death. And that's for all of us. They got it. But yet. 
There's one that isn't there. It's Judas. They're picking the replacement. They're picking the successor for the one who didn't get grace. And you see, we all hear this story over and over again. The grace of God, how restoration comes when we accept grace. But some of us right now, we're getting smacked in the face by grace. And we don't even see it. I feel this is a morning where God wants to speak afresh into our hearts that the grace of God is there. We just got to see it for what it is and bring that in. We'll look a little bit into that in a moment. See, Judas, this is one of the hardest people, one of the hardest passages I've had to work on. I'll just, I'll admit that to you. The last two weeks have been painful. I've had to try and journey. What was it like to be in Judas's shoes? Because there has never been a sermon that I know of that's been spoken around Judas. He's one of the most key people in, in uh, the Easter story, and yet we never talk about him. And yet, if we don't learn something from even his failures, then we're missing something that God has for us. So every time I began to look at, is there anyone who has written anything about Judas in the past? It either falls into two categories. Either falls into those who hate him or those who want to make him a hero. So those who say he was a wicked man, he betrayed Jesus, he deserved what he got. And you know what? Most of that is Christian people. And then we have people who want to make him a hero and say he was just a pawn in the big bad God's plan. So he's a hero because he is part of the story. And if he hadn't done what he would have done, then Jesus didn't go to the cross, the Easter didn't happen, and so he's a hero. And you know what? Both of those I don't think are helpful. I don't think both of them are biblical. And I don't think they're one that we need to settle on either side. Because if we settle on those, then we will live that out. And so when people feel, we'll either kick them into the gutter. Or when people feel, we'll ignore the problem that's going on in their lives. Because we just want to shower them with love. Somewhere in the middle is the answer. You know what that is? The gospel. It's Jesus. The good news, his good news, that yes, we feel, but grace is available. Grace is available. And so to try and understand this, I've had to walk in Judas's shoes. My old tutor at the Baptist College, Bobby Jennings, used to say, when you can't understand a passage, like, think, get into their shoes, walk their journey, and ask God, what would they have been thinking at this point? And so I want to share some stuff with you this morning that I think that we can learn uh, from Judas. So the first one is this. Judas was one of us, it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 17. This is Peter saying this. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. We can't, like, we can't ignore that. He was one of the disciples. You want to throw it on to the next slide? He was so near and yet he was so far. Okay. So let me explain that a little bit. Judas... Iscariot, popular name in those days, Judas meaning praise. Iscariot means he was from Palestine, so he was a Palestinian. But he was chosen, some of the past, some of the translations says he was chosen to be in the ministry. So there must have been something about Judas. There must have been something about Judas, why he was chosen. The fact that he had a business mind, he was appointed the treasurer of the group, even though the tax collector Matthew was there, there must have been some sort of business acumen about him that brought him in around these groups of guys and these disciples, but also there must have been something that he was attracted to Jesus about. 
Because he chose to to leave everything with that call to follow me. He chose to leave that. And he journeyed with Jesus for three years. And so think like this, okay? He saw all the miracles that Jesus did. So when the 5,000 were being fed, he was there. When the coming of the storm happened, he was there. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, he was there. He was there. He saw it with his own eyes. But he had the greatest teaching as well. He had the greatest teacher. So when the Sermon on the Mount was given, that was the greatest sermon ever, ever told. He was there. Every parable that Jesus gave, he was there. But see, we forget that sometimes. He was there in Luke 9, whenever Jesus said, I'm giving you power and authority to cast out demons and heal the sick. I'm sending you to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He was given that commission. He followed. And yet Colin Smith, he's this pastor in America, he says this, and this just got me me thinking. With Judas' own eyes, he saw the cleverest evidence. With his own ears, he heard the finest teaching. With his own feet, he followed the greatest example. And yet this man still betrayed Jesus. So what is it? What happened? If you go back to Matthew 26, I encourage you, write these things down. Matthew 26, go back and read it this week and you'll see where I think it gives you the the little insight into what was going on here. Because this is the moment when Jesus says, at the Last Supper, one of you is going to betray me tonight. And all the other disciples say this, am I the one Lord? Am I the one Lord? But Judas says, Rabbi, am I the one See, Judas spent time with Jesus. He saw everything that happened. He had all the greatest teaching you could ever ask for. And yet he didn't see Jesus right in front of him because he didn't have him as Lord of his life. He had false expectations. He had mixed motives. I want to challenge us on that. Why are you following Jesus? Are you following because of the benefits of following Jesus? Are you following him because of the great teaching or the great miracles that you see? Are you following him just because your heart is completely surrendered to him and you're madly, deeply in love with him and he is the Lord of your life? Because if you say he's the Lord of your life, that's a massive statement. It changes everything because at that moment your heart is surrendered. And so I want to challenge us as a church, your and my acts of service aren't just the sign of a surrendered heart. We can do great things. We can stand up here and tell our stories and talk and and bring the Bible to life. But unless your heart has been changed, unless you've surrendered your heart, you'll stand before Jesus. He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. He wants your heart. He doesn't want you to perform. He doesn't want you to be informed. He wants you to be transformed. By his love and by the grace. See, I, I feel we can't go any further in this. We have to stop right now. If there's someone here. Who right now you just feel that love of God. He's knocking on your heart. I'm going to urge you. I want to pray for you. I want to see you come to know the Lord, Jesus as the Lord and Lord. So would you raise your hand. I know that's a scary thing. But grace is here. If there's anyone who wants to know Jesus right now. I'm going to. Waited out for too long. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe you've been following him. You've been doing things for him. 
but you know your heart's not fully committed and you want to commit afresh, then raise your hand. Because I know I have failed them many times. But Jesus, I just pray right now, thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. That is just a gift. And I pray for each of us who have our hands raised right now, it would almost be a moment of fresh surrender. Jesus, we're all in. Even when it gets hard and when it gets tough, I mean, we can't see you for what we've been following for. We're going to follow you anyway. When we can't see you because the cloud of everything that's around us, we're going to follow you anyway. And when it feels like you've let us down, we're going to follow you anyway because you're good. Just pour out your Holy Spirit afresh. Pour out your Holy Spirit afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. So he was so near and yet he was so far. Second thing, we've got to understand this. Regular heart checkups are good. Regular heart checkups are good. See, people say, oh, he's just this pawn. He was just this piece in the big game of chess, the heavenly chess. And he, and he was just used by God in all of this here. You know what? Whenever we think like that, we have a false understanding of who God is. We have a false understanding of the free will that God has given us. We have a false understanding of how sin works in our lives. We have a false understanding of how the slow fade can work and have an effect on each and every one of us if we don't keep our hearts in a line with his. You see, the fact of the matter is, yes, God may have had this plan. If you see the prophecies and all this sort of stuff. But Judas had every opportunity, every opportunity to choose a different destiny. You don't understand it. That's with free will. So in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had everything that was there. They could have chose to follow in obedience. They could have chose to fully step into their destiny. But they chose otherwise. So free will is there. So Judas had every opportunity, but Satan also had a relentless assault on his life, just like he has on our lives. He will come after us, he will come after us. But you've got to understand this, because this is revolutionary. The power that there is in Jesus, when we come to him, is that Satan cannot, because God is all-powerful, he cannot have mastery in our lives unless we allow him, unless we just keep our foot in the door and say, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to confess that. I'm not going to give that up because I want that. So at that moment, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm not going to serve the master who tells me this is a good way to live. I'm going to choose to live my way. And if you look through the Bible story, that doesn't have good. And when people do what's right in their own eyes, when people follow their own motives. Because all of us have these, you know, we may have sinful thoughts, but if we choose to act on them, what we're doing is, we're not having self-control. And if I'm right, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So when we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we don't have to choose to go down that path. If we come before God, we come before Jesus and say, I am, like, I'm struggling with this right now. Struggling with this. So I need your help, Holy Spirit. Self-control is always available. It's always there. Jesus showed us how to overcome it in the best way in the wilderness. When Satan came after him, he responded with scripture. So I'm going to encourage you, okay? And don't think this is just the old dinosaur Northern Irish person coming out in me. See this? 
get to know it. Read it with people. Because then when Satan comes knocking at the door and he's trying to trip you up, you remind him of what God has spoken over you. Who you are, what Jesus has done for you, and no matter what you have done, we go back to that definition of grace. It's available. Every day, new mercies, new grace. So I want to encourage you as well, because Judas, you see, he was the treasure of the disciples. But it all, everything began okay, but then to look at it, as they go off on this missionary journey, what begins to happen is people are beginning to support them with money, and the old temptation in Judas begins to give in. John sees this, because it says in John 12, verse 6, that he saw that Judas was putting his hand into the pocket and taking it out. So at that moment, what Judas was saying was, yeah, no one's going to see this. I'm going to do what I think is right in this. I'm going to give in to that sinful thoughts, that covetedness, that want. And so it begins this slow fade in his life to the moment where he um, makes a deal with the high priests for money to betray Jesus. And then he goes to the, 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 the Last Supper and he hasn't confessed that. And then it says at that moment Satan enters him. So what do we learn from this? Unconfessed sin opens the Opens the door to Satan's power in our lives. And we've got to be, like, that's not trying to focus on him in any way. It's reminding ourselves that every time we come before the King of Kings and we confess our sins, grace, mercy, and the power of the cross is available for us. Satan cannot have a thought in our lives. Cannot get in our lives. And so I encourage you, begin that. Psalm 139, where it says to begin to examine your heart in the message. This is what it says. You want to Take it on there. Investigate my life, O oh God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. Accountability is a is a tainted word today because we've been hurt by twisted accountability, where people have their own motives in it. But actually, accountability is a good thing. So if you go to the hairdressers and you get a bad haircut, does that mean you never get your hair cut again in your life? Just because you've had a bad experience, it doesn't make it a bad thing. Accountability is good. It begins with yourself before God. But I would encourage you to follow Jesus' example and not Judas's of trying to go by yourself and, and following your own wants and desires. Get people around you. Jesus had his disciples, but he had the inner circle. James, John, Peter. I'm pretty sure that they would have been asking each other the difficult questions. What is going on right now? How's your walk with God? Hey, how's your marriage? That's a question that we can be asking people. I have people in my life that I need. I need those people around me. Simon and Mark back home and Andy here. We aren't afraid to ask the difficult questions. Not because we want to be nosy or because we want to get in on the gossip, but because we want to see the best and we don't want to see anyone drop off. Fall away. Let Satan have any power at all. If we love people, we'll get alongside and love them well. So get people who you can trust, get them alongside you because it'll stop the slow fade. If Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, remember he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, that didn't happen overnight because he didn't let anyone hold him accountable. And the, the saddest part of that all was in First Kings when it says this, his heart grew cold and was no longer fully devoted to the Lord. Can I tell you something? I don't want my heart to go like that and I don't want your heart to go like that. So we need accountability. We need to keep short accounts with God. How are we doing? Right, almost there. Third thing. Don't just feel remorse. Repent 
He said, that's another word we don't really understand because I know what it was like in Northern Ireland. We had you know, people standing on the streets and it was repent. You have to repent. You have to turn or burn. You'll trust or combust. You know, it's all these sorts of things that's going on. And so what's happened is we've looked at repentance and we think that's just something that people want to shove down my throat. But it's actually the moment where grace gets unleashed. That's the difference between Peter and Judas was repentance. It's key, repentance. Matthew 27, 3, it says, When Judas had betrayed him, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. You see, the early translations of that said he repented himself. What did he do? He repented to himself in his mind. It wasn't a good thing. I shouldn't have done that. So he tries to fix his own guilt by taking the money back. Whenever actually what he needed to do was to repent to God. A heart change. So Peter gets restoration. Why? Because if you read his moment of repentance, he weeps bitterly from the heart. There was genuine change. There was genuine, Lord, I am sorry and I am now going to follow you. Every day, I'm following you. Even when I feel I'm following you. Judas didn't get that. So we've got to get this word, repent. We've got to get it back into our hearts fully, fully following Jesus. And then the last one, grace. Grace is meant to overflow. Grace is meant to overflow. And this is the one that gets me, and this is probably where, because up until this point it's very singular, at this moment there are people around you where grace can flow, and overflow out of your life. So in the story it says that Judas betrays Jesus. He feels convicted when Jesus condemned him to death. He had a change of heart. He realizes there's nothing I can do. And even these new friends that he had, the people who he had betrayed Jesus with, says this on down in Matthew, uh, Matthew 27 verse 4, I have sinned, he declared. For I have betrayed an innocent man. And what do these people who he thinks he's found the way of life in say, what do we care? So at that moment, he's turned his back on Jesus. He's turned his back on the disciples. He's turned his back. He's, or his back's been turned on the people that he had turned to. Jesus at that moment is captured. There's nothing that he can do. But who were the people who just, because he didn't get grace, I think, and this is where it gets controversial, I don't think the rest of the disciples got grace fully either. Because if they had off, I think they would have been right alongside him and saying, Judas, you know what? We've all failed, mate. But think what's coming. The cross is coming. But you know what happened? They were so caught up in their own self-pity, they were caught up in their own problems and their own twisted way of, oh, Jesus wasn't who I thought he was. Look, he's not going to release us into being this kingdom on earth. So we're just we're, we're going to look after ourselves. We're going to run our way off and make sure that we're being looked after. I just wonder, I question, what would have happened if they had to go alongside Judas and began to show him the grace that they were being shown? Romans 5.20 says, As people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace becomes more abundant. As people sin more and more, his grace increases. As sin increases, grace all the more. So what am I trying to say through this? We're forgiven so that we can release forgiveness. We're blessed so that we can be a blessing. We've been given grace so that we can pour it away. Stop holding grace to yourself. Stop it. 
We have to stop it. I have to stop it. Every day I walk into B&Q. And I just want to be in my own world. And yet there are people who need to know the grace of Jesus. They need to be shown the grace of Jesus. How God began to speak to me through this. I want to give this as an example to you to try and keep this in your mind as we come to a close in this. Is that in Lone Survivor, it's this film where there's all these guys who've been dropped off in Afghanistan. They're, they're soldiers. But they've been left behind enemy lines and there's no way to get in to get them. So they have to try and get their own way out. And it's the survival mentality. And yet on top of the rock, this, there was this big cliff and they all come under fire. And Mark Wahlberg, who's the lead character, he escapes out of it. But he sees that one of his soldiers have been wounded. But he looks and he sees that there's still life there. And so what he does is he runs back in. He runs in and he pulls them out. And at that moment I found myself, I was screaming at the television saying, what are you doing? Get yourself out of there. Look after yourself. And at that moment, God was like, that's what we're like in the church. We've become the selfie generation where it's all about us, how we look, how we feel. It's time that has to shift. Who are those around us? Instead of kicking them into the gutter, we need to get alongside them and drag them out of it. Because if Jesus was here, that's what he would be doing. That's what grace would do. When we stand with all those kids a few weeks ago and we make a dedication pledge where we as a church will stand alongside them, what happens the first moment whenever they feel? Did you hear about so-and-so's child? That's terrible, isn't it? I bet you it was the parents, whatever. All these excuses. But what what have we turned it on our head and we begin to release grace? Because that's what Easter is all about. The grace of God. When people feel he came alongside them. So let me give you one final little illustration on this. okay? Just to wrap up the whole thing. Um, Susie. Alright. Just because you're here. We Northern Irish girl. Absolutely love this. Right. Susie. Would you like an Easter egg? Yes. Right. Susie, here we go. Got an Easter egg for you, Susie. There's an Easter egg for you. Um, there's another Easter egg for you. Yep, there's another Easter egg for you. Oh, Susie, it's great, isn't it? There, now, there's, there's your three Easter eggs. Okay? Just enjoy them just because you're you. That's it. Um, and if you feel like it would be good, you can give one away at some stage. All right? But there's no pressure here. So think what's happened there. Okay. It's sort of like, it's not the perfect analogy, but that's what it's like Okay, when the grace of God poured out upon us. It's like God comes and he says, do you want this grace? At that moment, Susie had a chance to say, yeah, I do or I don't. She could have easily said no. But she got grace and then God just keeps pouring and pouring and pouring. Now she has a decision. Now she can continue to keep that to herself or she can give it away. I think, and what I'm being challenged on is, how do we continue to give it away? Not just, not just amongst ourselves and our families, but over a region, over a nation. Because at a time where all we see is bitterness and taking a pop at each other, what would it be like if we revolutionized and brought grace and love? So I want to pray for us. Let's stand. I think God wants to do a couple of things while we still have yeah, a few minutes. 
So Holy Spirit, we invite you afresh. Would you just pour into us? Anything that's been said that would cause offence, would you just eradicate that from our minds? Anything that is there that will convict us and be, help us to become a little bit more like you, would you continue to work on our hearts as we converse over dinner tables, as we meet together? Would you help us to remember that any one of us could be Judas, but for the grace of God? So would you pour out your grace afresh? Come, Holy Spirit. I feel there are people who are at the age, they're just ready to give up. And you just need a fresh outpouring of grace. Just hold your hands in front of you right now. Just pour, pour them out. You're ready to give up on something. You're ready to see whether that's your own life, whether that's your spiritual life, whether that's a dream, whether that's a vision, whether that's a word that's been spoken over you, you're about to just give up on it. And Jesus is saying, remember grace. So we pray that afresh right now, Lord, the grace over the seeds that have been sown in the past, would you just water them with grace right now? Water lives. Water dreams. Water visions. Water promises, the spirit of life falling afresh. It's come. Come. I face some of us right now. You don't need to feel shame or guilt about things that's happened in the past. Anything that's been spoken here is not to shame or guilt you into things. You just need to know that you get to forgive because you can forgive. This is all about seeing grace is there. It's a gift for you. So you just want to accept that. Just fill us afresh with grace, Lord. I think there's a moment of repentance for all of us. Whenever we seek his face, he brings repentance. When there's no be- more beautiful thing in his eyes to us saying, we're sorry. So Lord, we just corporately say, we're sorry for the times when we have not let grace overflow. We're sorry for the times when we have kicked people to the gutter rather than pull them out. We're sorry for the times when we have misrepresented you And allow grace to be given to us, but not for anyone else. When we've been like a selfish three-year-old wanting to keep it to ourselves. Lord, as a church family, but as individuals, we repent of that right now in Jesus' name. So I urge you, just we're going to give 30 seconds of quietness for you just to pray in your heart. You want to pray. Just come, Holy Spirit. Thank you that it didn't even just end. At the resurrection, but that there's this greatest renovation project coming ahead of us. Where we get to be in your presence forever. And so I just offer up one more time. If there's anyone here who this Easter time want to take the grace of God into your life for the first time. This is one last opportunity while heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just give me an indication. That doesn't mean you're saved if you put your hand up. It just helps me to pray for you. That's it. Just give it 10 more seconds. Don't miss the opportunity. Jesus is calling you. Release your grace afresh.
release your grace afresh. Thank you for grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.